0: The following article is from the September 1992 Scottish Bright Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. Masonic Island by George T. Gillies, Ph.D. Masonic Island is a serene, 7.2-acre tract located in Medigoche, an international lake ranging across the border between North Dakota and Manitoba, nestled in the beautiful Turtle Mountains, an area rich in Indian legend. The island has been the site of international Masonic gatherings since as early as 1906. Nearby is the International Peace Garden, which also spans the U.S.-Canadian border, and is the location of the Eastern Star Peace Chapel, and the huge Masonic Memorial Auditorium built in the shape of a square and compasses. The tree-covered island has an open-air lodge at its center. The principal officers' chairs, the pedestals, and the altar are constructed of native fieldstone and mortar. Originally known as Park Island, the U.S. government conveyed title to V.B. Noble in 1899. The Proceedings of the Grand Lodge of North Dakota describe the Masonic meeting in 1906 when the degree of Master Mason was conferred on three candidates, with 75 visitors present. Succeeding year's proceedings reflect invitations from Tuscan Lodge No. 44, Bottono, North Dakota, to open-air degree work on the island. The 1909 invitation notes that a Canadian lodge would be using the island to confer the Master Mason degree, according to the Canadian work. After a period of fraternal inactivity in the 20s, the Grand Lodge of North Dakota's district meetings were again held on the island throughout the 1930s. In 1933, after the death of V.B. Noble, North Dakota District Judge Gudmunder Grimson of Rugby, North Dakota purchased this land for $277.25 and took title in the North Dakota Masonic Foundation. In 1934, the Brethren legally changed the name to Masonic Island and, in a special communication, the island was dedicated on June 7, 1934 to the whole fraternity and the high principles for which it has always stood. In the 1930s, members of constituent lodges and appendant bodies cleared the grounds and built the stonework. They held international Masonic picnics, which continued through World War II and the years following. North Dakota Governor John Moses, an active Mason, addressed the picnic many times, once while serving as Grand Master of the North Dakota Grand Lodge. President Franklin Roosevelt annually sent greetings to the gathering, as did Canadian Prime Minister Mackenzie King. The 1945 gathering included a memorial service for President Roosevelt. President Truman, too, sent his greetings in 1945 to the International Masonic Picnic. Hearty greetings to all who attend the International Picnic on Masonic Island in Lake Metagoshe on July 15th next. I like the spirit of brotherhood and neighborliness which brings citizens of Manitoba and North Dakota together in this way. We have had a long and unbroken friendship with our neighbor to the north, and gatherings like this promote friendly relations and unity of purpose between citizens of the two countries who hold so many ideals in common. Although there have been some periods of inactivity in recent decades, international Masonic functions continue to be held on the island, most recently in June 1991. In addition, the island has been used for work of appended bodies such as Eastern Star, Demolay, and Rainbow for Girls. While the Grand Lodge of North Dakota may be the smallest of any state, few can claim title to such a unique resource for lodge work, fellowship, and family functions. The past 100 years have seen the vast and borderless prairies of the Northern Plains attract immigrants from many nations, all coming together to seek a better life in the New World. Situated in one of the most beautiful parts of that region, Masonic Island remains a physical symbol of the International Masonic Brotherhood and its work for peace among all on Earth. The following article is from the July 1993 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. Masonic Travels, Trout and Tradition A Historic Masonic Park in the San Luis Valley of Colorado Masonic Park Nestles to the Right of a Bend in the Rio Grande River in the San Luis Valley of Colorado by Glenn A. Reif, 32nd Degree One morning last winter, while enjoying our choke cherry jelly at breakfast, My wife and I reminisced about our summers in Masonic Park. The cherries had been picked in the park during the previous summer. As we talked, it occurred to me that many in the Brotherhood do not know about this park, hence this article. As cabin owners, we have been guests of San Luis Valley Lodges for over 20 years. Parks such as this are a Masonic resource that can be used to help build membership. Masonic Park is a historic place. It is nestled east of the San Juan Mountains along the Rio Grande River. Often thought of as part of the South Fork, Colorado community, it was one of the first Masonic parks in America. While today there are many other Masonic parks, few can compare with this park's unusual natural beauty and rustic charm. The Masons who lived close to the San Luis Valley first met here for their annual St. John's Day gatherings late in the 1800s. They assembled at a place called Wagon Wheel Gap, but as their numbers grew, they needed more space. This is in a very colorful area of Colorado. The San Luis Valley was once owned by Spain and has a rich Spanish heritage. In the nearby mountains, John C. Fremont's last expedition almost starved one winter. The famous mining town of Creed with its repertoire, theater, and the La Guerrita Wilderness area are within a short drive. The San Luis Valley Masonic Association was incorporated shortly after World War I to own and govern the park. It would give the lodges in the valley a place where they could hold their annual St. John's Day Assembly and would provide lodge members with a place for outdoor recreation and other family activities. This park probably contributed to the strength of Freemasonry in the San Luis Valley. From the start, Masons from outside the valley were allowed to purchase lots and build cabins, but they were considered as guests. Acquisition of the land and establishment of the Association were the fulfillment of dreams held by Brother Jesse C. Wiley, 33rd Degree, and Marshal H. Von Fleet, 33rd Degree. These men were the leaders and the force by which the park was created. Both became charter members of the Southern Colorado Consistory and Grand Masters in Colorado. The Association is a non-profit corporation. Each of the seven lodges in the valley elects members of the Park Board, the governing body of Masonic Park. The master of each lodge is an ex-officio member and sometimes attends meetings of the board. Each board member has a keen interest in the park, with some of them representing second or third generations of Masons who have used the park. The St. John's Day Assembly, a social for all lodges in the valley, is still held. In the early days of the park, this was the greatest event of the year. Masons and eastern stars from all over the valley and many from elsewhere in Colorado traveled to the park for the big event and its festivities. As many as 2,000 people attended. The food was delicious, the games plentiful, and there was a prominent speaker. Many would come over the dusty roads by automobile, but others preferred the clean luxury of a trip on a special train. This was very convenient because the tracks of the Denver and Rio Grande Railroad go through the park on the way to Creed. Originally, all of the cabins were used as hunting or fishing lodges. Masons from various Scottish Rite valleys owned most of them. Following World War II, sections of the park near the highway were utilized and more cabins were built. Nowadays, some cabins are used as skiing lodges, others are 12-month residences. Today, there are over 80 cabins and most are owned by masons from outside the San Luis Valley. Many owners are from Texas and Oklahoma. All buildings belonging to the San Luis Valley Masonic Association are located near the center of the oldest part of the park. These include a Masonic pavilion, an Eastern Star pavilion, and a new home for the full-time caretaker and his family. Rainproof cooking and picnic areas are also available. Many social functions occur in the pavilions and picnic areas. Years ago, young people danced to a Nickelodeon in the Masonic pavilion. Here are some examples of more recent activities. Lodge and Eastern Star meetings are sometimes held in the pavilions. The Masonic pavilion has been used for church services. One couple who lived in the park for years reaffirmed their wedding vows on their 60th anniversary with 80 people in attendance in the Masonic Pavilion. Foreign students have spent the night in the Eastern Star Pavilion. Cabin owners, their children, and their friends enjoy three potluck dinners each summer as well as many other picnics. Masonic Park is a nature lover's paradise. There are many fascinating animals, fish, and birds, beautiful wildflowers, trees, and bushes, and colorful mountains and rocks. My wife and I are always thrilled when we see deer wandering near our cabin. Both of us have fun with the chipmunks and squirrels. From our deck, we enjoy the cool weather, vivid blue sky, and billowy clouds as we watch eagles and airplanes soaring above the mountains. Fishing and hunting have always been among the main sports in the park. There are many lakes, reservoirs, and creeks within easy driving distance. Brook trout are a favorite catch in the creeks. Some of the lakes are small, alpine in nature, and others are large enough for trolling. Also, fishing on the Rio Grande is excellent. Brown trout and rainbows are most plentiful. Last summer, the Colorado Division of Wildlife began releasing a new type of trout called Colorado River Rainbow. These do not have to be spawned in a hatchery, rather. They reproduce and grow in the river. Today, many of the cabins are owned by second and third generations. Our children will one day inherit our cabin, and I'm sure they will enjoy it as much as we have. It has been our Shangri-La. As Masonic Park approaches its 78th summer, my wife and I are again looking forward to seeing our friends and enjoying the park's fishing in quiet solitude. The following article is from the May-June 2012 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA, and is called the Monumento de la Constitución, or a Masonic Monument, in Spanish Florida by Oscar Patterson III, PhD, 32nd degree. The Plaza de la Constitución in St. Augustine, Florida, is named for the monument erected there in 1813 to commemorate Spain's liberal constitution adopted the previous year. This constitution was promulgated by the National Legislative Assembly in Spain while in refuge from a peninsular war. It established universal suffrage, national sovereignty, freedom of the press, and land reform. It was one of the most liberal constitutions of its time. It was not, however, much in effect since the majority of Spain was at the time under control of the French armies of the Bonapartes. The 1812 Constitution was abolished by Ferdinand VII when he assumed the throne in 1814. The Spanish commonly called the Constitution La Pepa because it was adopted on St. Joseph's Day, and Pepe is the standard Spanish nickname for José. At the adoption of the 1812 Constitution, orders were given that monuments to the document be erected in all Spanish provinces. When Ferdinand VII assumed the throne, he ordered that all such monuments be destroyed. The monument that stands in the plaza in St. Augustine, Florida, is considered to be the only remaining structure dedicated to the 1812 Constitution. It was constructed under the direction of Don Fernando de la Massa Arredondo, Arredondo was a merchant, prominent citizen, and military leader in St. Augustine. He assisted in raising troops for the town's defense in 1811 and used his personal fortune to aid the city when tax revenues and available resources proved inadequate for defense and survival. Arredondo is also credited with settling Alachua County, Florida, in 1817 with a 280,000 acre grant from the Spanish king. That's from Adams, 2009, United States versus Arredondo, 1832. It is interesting to note that Arredondo, the person tasked with supervising the erection of the monument, was also considered responsible for allowing Moses Levy, a Jew, to own land in St. Augustine at a time when such ownership was forbidden under Spanish law. The monument erected under Arredondo's supervision has the following inscription, translation from the original Spanish to English, Constitution Plaza, promulgated in this city of St. Augustine, of East Florida on the 17th of October, 1812, under Governor Brigadier Don Sebastian Kindelin, Knight of the Order of St. James. For eternal memory, the municipal government erected this obelisk under the supervision of Don Fernando de la Massa Aradondo, the young senior alderman, and Don Francisco Robita, city attorney, in the year 1813. Of great interest to Masons is that clearly visible beneath the original inscription, now maintained at the Leitner Museum in St. Augustine, but an exact copy can be seen on the monument, are the Masonic Square and Compasses. According to Altamira, 1922, Freemasonry has existed in Spain since about 1750, first depending on centers established in other countries, later with Spanish organization. Not all Masons were revolutionists, but all abided one another and the radical elements used the lodges as a cloak for conspiracy. In 1819, the Andalusian Masons, especially those at Seville and at Cadiz, where an exceptionary force was being assembled to be sent to the Americas, decided to further the revolution. It is highly probable that there were Freemasons in St. Augustine and that considerable liberal sentiment existed there, so that the use of the emblems on the tablet may have received official sanction. Interestingly, Altamira notes that there is no definite authority that when the 1812 Constitution was revoked, all the monuments erected to celebrate it were dismantled, although he does write that it was highly probable. Altamira further suggests that the St. Augustine monument may not have been erected by order of the Spanish government, but rather was erected voluntarily by St. Augustine citizens. In 1813, after the monument was completed, a young French-Canadian girl passed her time while visiting St. Augustine by sketching things she saw in the plaza. One of the items she drew was the monument complete with the original Spanish inscription with the square and compasses at the bottom. This seems to establish that the square and compasses were on the monument from its earliest days. Historic sources suggest that Freemasonry had come to St. Augustine by the 1750s, and there is evidence that the Castillo de San Marcos as well as Fort Matanzas and the Cathedral de St. Augustine were inscribed with Masonic inscriptions and emblems. Others suggest, however, that the Masonic symbols on the monument are the results of a Civil War or post-Civil War era practical joke. The symbol on the monument in St. Augustine does not include the G, They note, and the square encompasses without the G were common in both Union and Confederate lodges of the Civil War era. It must also be noted, however, that the G was not used by the European founders of the fraternity. The G seems to be an American addition. This later fact could suggest the influence of British masonry on the monument. When the Spanish surrendered St. Augustine in Northeast Florida to the British in 1762, all Spanish residents of the territory migrated to Cuba or other Spanish territories. When the Spanish returned to northeast Florida in 1784, however, the British settlers did not leave the area but were assimilated into the Spanish community. Those who theorize that the emblems are not truly Masonic do note that the plaque on the monument is missing the typical Masonic date, 5813 instead of 1813. St. Augustine, Florida has been home to at least 12 Masonic lodges. Most disappeared as the Catholic Church took an even stronger position against the fraternity, but as Altamira noted, Freemasonry probably existed in Spanish Florida and St. Augustine. During the British period, 1762-1784, to 1784, James Grant, British governor of East Florida, was given a warrant to form a provisional Grand Lodge operating under the Grand Lodge of Scotland. This warrant was used to create British lodges in both St. Augustine and Pensacola. These lodges were dismantled when the Spanish returned in 1784, though there is evidence that San Fernando Lodge in St. Augustine, chartered by the Grand Lodge of Georgia, existed from 1806 to 1811. None of the St. Augustine Lodges survived, and there was no other formal Masonic activity until the formation of Ashler Lodge No. 98 in 1888. The square encompasses are not exclusive to masonry, but based on the sketches made in 1813 by the young French Canadian visitor, the reputation of Fernando Arredondo, and the fact that many British citizens remained in St. Augustine under Spanish rule, it is reasonable to assume that the symbols on the original monument could well have been Masonic in origin. In addition, considering the evidence of a Masonic Lodge in St. Augustine slightly before the erection of the monument and the history of Freemasonry in the Spanish world, it is reasonable to infer Masonic involvement in a piece of Masonry erected to celebrate a liberal constitution. And there's a little blurb here about the author. Oscar Patterson III is a perpetual member of Ashler Lodge No. 98 in St. Augustine, Florida, and the Valley of Jacksonville, Oriental Florida, Scottish Rite. He has been a minister, a combat infantry officer, and a university professor and administrator where he taught law and ethics. He currently resides in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida.